a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, this morning then, uh, we begin our new preaching series uh, from the book of Daniel, uh, which we've called Daniel Faith at Work. Now, I've been looking forward to, uh, there we are, I've been looking forward to this preaching series for some time, and uh, at one point I thought we might start it last year, it never quite happens, uh, but for some time I've been thinking this will be a good series for us. You, you may know if you've been with us any length of time that probably my preferred way of preaching is to preach through a book of the Bible. Uh, there are a number of reasons for preaching through a book systematically. Uh, perhaps one of the key reasons is that I don't wake up on Monday morning wondering what I'm going to preach on on Sunday because it's the next chapter normally uh, and that's helpful uh, but also it means that as a preacher you cover everything and you don't skip things that you'd rather avoid. If you're preaching by the way don't stand here you get dripped on I've just discovered. <clears throat> it means that you don't avoid things it's easy for a any speaker to always preach on their favourite subject, which for me would probably be somewhere in Acts 2. But by preaching through a book of the Bible, it means that you, you take everything that's there. There's no skipping the hard bits. You, you have to address things. And that's good for us. It's good for me. And it's good for us together as well. And so I'm looking, going to be looking over these next few weeks uh, when I'm preaching. We're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. And I've called it Faith at Work because really that, that sums up, if you like, the book of Daniel. And it can mean two things. Firstly, we're going to look at how Daniel put his faith to work, how it meant something to him in everyday life, how that it wasn't something that was uh, contained just within a private sphere of his relationship with God, but rather his faith was at work in every part of his life. But as well as that, it means that Daniel took his faith to work. He didn't stay at home. He didn't even stay in his prayer closet. Now that his faith went with him in his everyday life at work. And Daniel, uh, as many of us do, spend much of our time at work, whether that be uh, in a job that's sort of employment, whether it's been some training scheme or, or study, or whether it's at home bringing up kids. Most of us spend most of our life in that sort of environment rather than environments like this on a Sunday morning. But Daniel didn't keep his faith just to um, <clears throat> some religious meeting, or for him it would have been the temple. But rather, his faith went with him to work. Daniel had his faith at work. And I'm trusting that as we look at this book over the uh, next few weeks or so, uh, we will see something of these things and learn some of these things together. It's a fascinating book, <clears throat> and it's about a faithful individual. Daniel is a faithful individual in some trying circumstances. It's a mix of accounts about Daniel and his three friends. That's largely the first half of the book. And then the second half of the book is a predictive prophecy. Daniel prophesying what's going to happen uh, from his perspective in the future. So it's a, it's a book of two halves, if you like. The first six chapters about Daniel and his friends. The second six chapters, prophetic visions of the future. I was talking to somebody on the phone this week, another pastor, and uh, we were talking about what we were preaching at uh, at the moment. And he said, oh, are you doing the whole book? 
or just the first six chapters. And I said to him, well, it's very tempting just to do the first six chapters because that's certainly the easier part to understand. But by God's grace, we're going to get into the whole book and look at the whole thing. One of the, uh, the commentaries that I was uh, reading recently said this about the book of Daniel. <clears throat> Daniel's message about God's control requires both the stories of the first six chapters and the visions of the last six. The stories give us comfort, the visions a sense of our finitude. Without the latter, the stories could lead us to believe in a false relationship between human works and God's grace. If we do certain things, God must provide. Without the stories, the visions could lead us to an impractical, disembodied mysticism. With both, this book offers a hopeful confidence that God is indeed in control. Move that sentence again. With both the first half and the second half of the book, this book of Daniel offers a hopeful confidence that God is indeed in control. You see, that is the overall theme of the book of Daniel. If you had to write a summary sentence of the book of Daniel, it would be this. Daniel, God is in control. As you read through the entire book, both the first half and the second half, you pick it up time and time again. God is in control. God is sovereign. And what that means is that nothing happens that is outside God's awareness, that is outside him allowing. Nothing at all is going to happen to you that is a surprise to him, that God doesn't know about. It's not that God's going to turn to you, see what's happening and say, oh no, what's gone wrong? As though he somehow didn't know and was somehow surprised by the occurrence. The fact that God is sovereign means that God is aware and knows of and indeed allows everything that happens to you. It doesn't mean that he causes everything that happens to you, but it does mean that he allows it both for your good and indeed for his glory. So a healthy understanding of God's sovereignty is good for us to have. And as we look at the book of Daniel, we will learn more about God's sovereignty in our lives and in the world. And that's a good thing for us as Christians to learn and to understand and get a grip of. It's a theme that we need to know as much about today as indeed Daniel did in his time. So the date is 605 BC, 605 years before the birth of Christ. And the book encapsulates around about 66 years of Daniel's life that we're going to spend some time looking at. Place, well, as we'll see, the place is Babylon. And uh, Babylon was uh, in what's now the southern part of Iraq. It was first an important power, Babylon, in 1850 BC. And then later, in about 650 BC, they overcame the Assyrian Empire. So they were the empire of the day. Although the oldest known alphabet comes from the Canaanites, the oldest known writing comes from the Babylonians. So they were you know, an advanced empire. They were you know, in control of much of that area. And as we look in the book of Daniel, we'll see what that meant for Daniel and his friends. 
So let's pray and then we'll get into it together. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your presence with us. God, we do love you. We do love your word. We want to say thank you for your word. And we pray now as we open it together and read and spend some moments looking at this first chapter of Daniel that you would speak to us. Help us to understand, Lord, the truth that you are in control, that you are sovereign. Please speak to us, Holy Spirit, through your word now. Please help me to communicate well. God, we want your word to do us good, so help us, please, to understand it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, if you've got a Bible with you then, if you'd like to turn, please, to the book of Daniel. We'll read the first chapter together. It's towards the end of the Old Testament, so if you're not too sure where it is, find the beginning of the New Testament and work backwards, and you'll bump into it soon enough. We'll look at the first chapter this morning. Okay, Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than any other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, The chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. 
And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. What we need to understand to start with is that God is in control. Right at the beginning of the book of Daniel, we see what happens. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, comes to Jerusalem and he besieges it. But we're told not that Jerusalem falls or it all goes wrong, but rather in verse 2, you'll see there, if you've got your Bible open, we see that Daniel says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. It wasn't that somehow it all went wrong for Jehoiakim, but rather God was judging him. You can read the account also in 2 Chronicles 36 uh, of what happened there. And we see how God is in control. Right here, God is at the very center of events. And although he is using Nebuchadnezzar, it's him that is behind what's happening. God delivers Jehoiakim and Jerusalem into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. And so Jehoiakim, some of the articles from the temple, and they pop up a little bit later in Daniel, you'll see them uh, in Daniel 5 again, and some of the brightest young men that they could find were all carried off to Babylon. Now, I'm not sure if you would put yourself in the brightest young person category. Maybe you would. Maybe you think, oh, I couldn't quite make it, or you're somewhere further down the pecking order. But what happened is when, they, when a king went to take over another city, typically what they would do, especially Nebuchadnezzar, is they would take the, the brightest and the best off to the center of their kingdom. And what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here is he's taking away all the potential leaders. He's taking away those who will have influence. He's taking away the brightest people in order that he can then educate them in his ways, in the ways of the Babylonians, in, in their literature and their history. And so we see that that's what happens here. And Nebuchadnezzar takes this whole sector of society away from Jerusalem. That gives him a whole crop of new leaders to indoctrinate in his ways, off in Babylon. And it leaves Jerusalem vulnerable because there isn't anybody there who can lead, who can have influence, who can teach, who has got that sort of background. And it means that then Nebuchadnezzar has more influence over that city because there's not those sort of people there who would rise up against him. So if we stop just at verse 1 in Daniel 1, we might think, oh, it's all gone wrong. What's happened? Nebuchadnezzar seems to be winning here. But verse 2 tells us that it's God's plan, that the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. It's interesting, isn't it? We're looking back on this story and we can say, oh yeah, I can see it there. Yeah, God was in control. But let's bear in mind for Daniel and his three friends who we read about, they don't have that privilege. They're going through it. They're not looking back at an event that's been written about and they can say, oh yeah, God was in control. All that they know is Jerusalem has fallen and that they're being carted off to Babylon. It's not looking so good. And they could wonder what's happening. But, you know, Daniel, as he's writing this, knows that God was behind it all. He is sovereign. As we've said already, we need to have a healthy understanding of the sovereignty of God. 
He is on the throne and he is in control. That's our first point. God is in control. But we see that God is working in Daniel here. It's our second point. God is working in Daniel. Daniel and his friends would have been less than 20 years of age. Most commentators reckon that Daniel and his friends were around 16 or 17 years old. So they weren't experienced in the ways of of either God or, or in society in general. They were young people. They were teenagers. Maybe you've got teenagers. Maybe you can look back and you can think, oh yeah, I can remember my kids when they were that sort of age. Or maybe you've got friends who are that sort of age. It's that sort of age people that Nebuchadnezzar took off to Babylon. They wouldn't even have been sixth formers yet. They may, in our context, they may have been doing their GCSEs. It's that sort of age. But it's interesting that even at that age, they knew their God. Even at that age, they were faithful to God. They, they knew their God. And God, as we see, is working here in Daniel. <clears throat> Bear in mind, they've been taken away from everything that is familiar to them. They've been taken away and removed from their family. They've been taken away and removed from the religious life of Israel that they're used to. They've been taken away and removed from their friends. Everything that is familiar and normal to them has been changed. That disorientates them. Again, that helps Nebuchadnezzar to indoctrinate them with his ways whilst they're disorientated and away from everything that is familiar to them. I wonder how would you have coped? Look back at, maybe if you can remember, what you were like when you were 16 or 17. For some of you, that's easy. For some of us, we have to rack our brains a little harder. I can think back to how I was at that sort of age, and uh, it was around that sort of age, I guess I was sort of 15 or 16, that I was baptised as a Christian. And uh, <clears throat> at that age, I was quite nervous to speak in public. So I didn't give my testimony because I was, I was too nervous about it. Now, I think I've probably made up for lost time <laughs> since. But I wonder what you were like at 16 or 17. Think about it. Taken away from everything you knew as familiar. That's what is happening here to Daniel and his friends. Everything that they've known is changing now. <clears throat> but we, what we see here is Daniel's character. What we see here is God working in Daniel. And it's obvious that God has been working in Daniel because he's able to make a stand, as we'll see in a moment, for God. Well, he must have some history to be able to do that. So even at this sort of young age, Daniel has got some history with God. I remember someone saying to me some time ago that they were speaking to me as a younger leader. They were saying, listen, as a younger leader, God is more interested in what he does in you than what he's doing through you. I remember thinking, yeah, but I want God to do stuff with me and through me and make a difference in his kingdom. And I remember the guy saying, listen, right now, God's more interested in what he's doing in you than what he's doing through you. That would have been true for Daniel at this age and running up to this point. Maybe that's true for many of you now. God is is more interested in what he's doing in you, in changing you, in moulding you, in shaping you, in making him more like Jesus. He's more interested in that just now than in what you're doing for him and what he's going to do through you. That will come. That's not important. It is important. But before you get to that, God's got some stuff to do in you first. 
Maybe you're in that category. I wonder what is God doing in you right now? Whether we're a new Christian, known Jesus five minutes, or whether we've been walking with God for the last 60 years, what is God doing in you right now? In this season of your life, in this stage, what's God doing? What's he speaking to you about? What's he challenging you with? What's he drawing out of you? What's he shaping? What's he (coughs) erasing? What's he rubbing the sharp corners off? What is it that God's doing in you? For each of us, at any moment, God's doing something in our lives. I wonder what is it for you? You should be able to identify. If you're not sure, I'd encourage you, even this week, to pray about it. Say, God, what are you doing in me at the moment? Or maybe a better question to ask is, Lord, what do you want to do in me at the moment? And allow God that space to do it. See, God had been at work in Daniel, building faithfulness, building character, building trustworthiness. And because we know that's the case, because there's some tests about to come to Daniel. There's some tests that are about to come to his character. And the first test is this, staying faithful to God in trying circumstances. That's Daniel's first test. You see, it would have been easy to think that God had left him, that it had all gone wrong, that somehow um, as Jerusalem had fallen, that God had somehow lost his power, that Nebuchadnezzar had won, and it was game over. It would have been easy for Daniel and his friends to think that. It would have been easy for them to think, well, this whole following God thing, it doesn't work. You know, I've been taken away to Babylon. I'm just going to give up on it. It would have been easy for him to think that, especially in the sort of place that Babylon was. It was a hedonistic, full of food, as we'll see, you know, sexually immoral culture. It would have been easy for him to think, well, you know, that obviously didn't work. I'll just go with the flow here. Sounds a bit like our culture, really, doesn't it? Just the pursuit of pleasure and, and those sort of things. The first test for Daniel was staying faithful to God in trying circumstances. Maybe he remembered God's words to Joshua in Joshua 1. God, uh, God says this, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Maybe Daniel heard God speak that to him. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. That's what he said to Joshua. Maybe Daniel heard those words. Hey, Daniel, I'll be with you. Daniel, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Daniel, be strong. Daniel, be courageous. Maybe some of you need to hear those words this morning. Maybe you're tempted to think, oh, it just all seems to have gone wrong. It looks like God's departed. I'm wondering what's going on with my life. It doesn't make sense anymore. Maybe some of you this morning need to hear these words. Hey, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Be strong. Be courageous. They're the sort of words that Daniel would have heard ringing in his ears. And so the first test for him was staying faithful to God in those sort of circumstances. It isn't guaranteed, friends. I can think of friends of mine who I've known over the years who were following God, faithful to him. Something came along and they just lost it. Now, I don't don't want to judge that because the circumstances they faced were, in some cases, huge. But it didn't, didn't work out for them. 
They didn't remain faithful to God. And yet I can think other, of other people who I've known who have faced awful situations in their personal life but have remained faithful to God, true to him. It is possible, but it's not guaranteed. You, you, you need to decide, almost decide in advance that when those things come, you'll hear the words that God spoke to Joshua. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Those are the sort of words God wants to speak to you this morning. And they're the sort of words that God would have been speaking to Daniel in this foreign culture that he found himself in. And that's the second test of foreign culture. Daniel and his, and his friends, do you notice here, had their names changed. That's showing who's boss, isn't it? It's very clear now. Their whole identity that was before them uh, previously in Jerusalem, their names spoke of God, uh, the God of the, the, the Bible. And so every time somebody called their name, they were reminded about something of the God of the Bible. That's what their names meant, different things. Their new names that they were given, none of them spoke about the God of the Bible. All of them spoke about foreign gods that were worshipped in Babylon. And so their whole identity had been changed. They were immersed in Babylonian literature and culture. They would have gone to the top Babylonian university of the day. They would have had the best professors, the best teachers. They would probably have had the best of everything. They would have been taught all sorts of things that they would have never have experienced before in Jerusalem. Never would have come across in a godly culture. This is a test to them, an ungodly and a foreign culture. It's a test to us, isn't it? We'll come back to that in a few moments. But there's a third test that comes to Daniel and his friends, which is to do with the food. We read it, didn't we, where Daniel <coughs> resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked for just water and vegetables. Now, let's be very clear here. This is not biblical justification for being a vegetarian teetotaler. Okay, you cannot take this verse out of context and, says, and say, well, Daniel just ate vegetables, so therefore that's all we need to do. That is not what it's saying. Let me make it very clear. That is, that is not how you should take this verse. And I'm very pleased about that. Because <laughs> I like my meat and I like my wine. But if it doesn't mean that, what does it mean? What's going on here? Why is Daniel so certain about not wanting to eat the king's food or drink the king's wine. What's going on? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly, so we can't read into Scripture what isn't there. But there are a number of reasons that we could think about as possible reasons for Daniel choosing to take this course of action. Firstly, the food would have been offered to idols. Before going to the king, it would have been presented to foreign gods, to idols as part of the worship. And then would have gone to the king, and then what was left over, and there would have been a whole load left over, that went to Daniel and his friends. So they may have wanted to avoid that. As well as that, the food would have included all sorts of uh, meats that the Jews were forbidden to eat. And it, it wouldn't have been killed in, in appropriate ways for them either. So that would have caused them a problem. As well as that, it was more than the king's food that Daniel was rejecting. Because by eating the king's food and by drinking his wine, it was like pledging allegiance to the king. 
It was saying, well, you're my provider now. You provide all my food and my, my drink. And Well, it's like saying that the king owns him. It was acknowledging that the king had this authority over him. And whilst Daniel, as we shall see, was prepared to serve the king, there were some lines that he actually wanted to draw. And this was a line that he was going to draw in the Senate. And as well as that, to eat vegetables and to just drink water would have given God the opportunity to do something in their lives that if they looked as good as the other guys, then it must have been more than just the vegetables and water they were eating. Maybe God's blessing was on them as well. It's probably a mix of reasons. Maybe it's all of those. But actually they're all valid reasons, particularly when you look at them together. It's been said, isn't it, you are what you eat. Well, actually, you're a lot more than what you eat. But what you eat does make a huge difference to you. In that sort of culture, in that sort of time, to, to eat of the king's food, there would, there would have been a lot of it. You know, we're not talking small rations here. This is not a happy meal size portion of food that Daniel's turning, uh, turning away. One of the ways that kings showed and demonstrated their wealth was by the lavishness of their food and their banquets. There would have been a whole load of food and wine and a lot of waste as well. But Daniel is drawing a line in the sand and saying no to this. There are other things that Daniel goes along with. And there are some things that Daniel says no to. And friends, that's true for us as Christians as well. And often the line is in different places for different ones of us. Different things can cause different people a problem where you say, actually the line is there. Sometimes it's very clear. It's a sin issue and the line is very clear. The Bible makes it plain. Sometimes it's a conscience issue and we say, well actually I, I want to choose not to do that. Or choose not to go there. Whatever it might be. But for Daniel, the, the test is the food. I wonder, what's the test for you? Because tests will come. I guarantee it. What's the test going to be for you? If you're at work, is it fiddling your expenses or your timesheet before you send it in at the end of the month? If you're studying, is it copying somebody else's essay or work that they've done? What's the test for you? Everyone's doing it, people would say. And that was largely what people would have said to Daniel and his friends. But why, why, why say no to the food? Everyone's eating it. It's, it's okay. There'll always be a test for each of us. Different tests for different ones of us. I wonder, what is it for you? You see, in that moment, God does promise something. He promises his grace. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach the God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, when you're facing a time of need, God promises his grace. He promises that his grace is sufficient for you. He promises that his grace is all that you need if you throw yourself upon him. Tests will come, that's guaranteed. The issue is how we respond to the tests when they come. I wonder, what do you need grace for this week? What situation are you facing 
even in these next few days, that you need God's grace for. When do you need to make a stand? Now. That's when you need to make a stand. And if you find yourself in a new situation, be it a new friendship, be it a new job, be it a new course, be it a new home, the time to make the stand is right at the beginning, early on. And Daniel, right at the beginning here, was making a stand, wasn't he? Right at the beginning of his time here in Babylon. And friends, actually, it may seem the hardest time, but it's actually the easiest time to make a stand. Because if you make a stand early on, it's like you've nailed your colours to the mast. You've said, this is what I stand for, this is what I believe, this is who I am. Now, let's be clear, there's ways of doing that that are gracious and appropriate. Daniel didn't go to the king's official and say, listen, there's no way I'm going to eat that. You, there's no way that we're going to have that food or wine. I'm just going to say no. He didn't do that. He was gracious. He was winsome. He said, he said I understand that it's hard for you. you know, if we don't look good, you're going to lose your head. He understood that. So he said, listen, why don't you test us for a few days? Just see how it goes. He was winsome with it. He was sensible. He, he won this guy to him. Sometimes as Christians, we can come over, over all dogmatic and full of it in a way that really isn't helpful. It's certainly not helping our cause in witnessing for Jesus. So we can make a stand. We can be clear about what we believe. But friends, let's do it in a winsome and a grace-filled way that people want to respect and want to see. So don't put off making a stand. Do it now. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Friends, do not conform to the pattern of this world. That's what Paul says to the Romans. It's what he would say to us this morning. J.B. Phillips translated it like this in the 1960s. He said, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould, but let God remould your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good. It's a good way of putting it, isn't it? Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould because it's trying to. It really is. And then thirdly, we see that God is working through Daniel. We'll see that all throughout the book, particularly the first six chapters, that God is using Daniel in this situation that he finds himself in, and God is working through him. You see, he starts to serve the king, and let's be clear, it's a very ungodly environment here. But Daniel becomes a very faithful and trusted employee. We're told that uh, Daniel and his friends were found to be ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the kingdom. Like, they were good employees. They were good for the king to have around. I wonder, as a Christian, are you good for your boss to have around? Is your boss pleased that you're there? Uh, if you're in a working situation, you know, do you think you have that sort of impression? Do you think people have that impression about you? Well, you may come to me and say, Graham, you listen, you don't know the sort of boss I've got. You've got no idea what they're like. You know, you, you, you just cannot imagine. I once had a boss, which the story goes, 
people, somebody jumped out of a first or second floor window to get away from him and his temper. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I know the guy and I can believe it probably is. Maybe you're thinking, listen, that's nothing. You just don't know what it's like. You don't know the sort of boss I've got. That's nothing compared to the boss that Daniel had. If you upset Daniel's boss, that's it. Game over. Off with your head. Now, you might have a pretty rotten boss, but they probably don't say that. Well, the fact that you're here proves they probably don't say that. For Daniel, he was serving God and wanting to be faithful to him in a very ungodly environment with a pretty temperamental and unpredictable, ungodly boss. Yet, he was shown to be faithful in working for him. See, this is faith at work. Faith at work. Your faith can make a difference at work or in the situation that you spend most of your time in. Faith at work. Your faith should be active. It should be working and not passive, not something that is parked here on a Sunday morning, left in the seat to be picked up the following weekend. Another biblical example would be Joseph, wouldn't it? Somebody else who was faithful to God in an ungodly environment. Jesus said to us to be salt and light, didn't he? Do you remember in Matthew 5, he talked about that? We're to be salt and light in the world. Salt gives taste. If you put some salt on something, it, it helps bring the flavours out. It also preserves. So particularly before there was refrigeration, salt was used to preserve things. If you wanted to keep some meat fresh, you'd, you'd put it in salt. That's how you do it. When Jesus says, be salt, he means things like, bring flavour to what you're doing. Bring flavour to your environment. Bring the best out of the situation that you're in. And also preserve it. Stop it from going bad. Stop it from going downhill. Stop it from becoming a complete disaster, but rather preserve it. Preserve the good things in your environment. Bring the best out. Bring flavour to it. You see, to give, give taste, salt has to be rubbed in, doesn't it? Occasionally, we'll watch some of these cookery programs. Uh, you know, you find you know, Jamie Oliver or you know, Delia Smith or Nigella, whoever your favourite cookery person is, and, and they'll, they'll get some meat or something, and they'll pour some, you know, some spices and some flavourings on and some salt, and they'll rub it in, won't they? And they can see all their hands getting gooey, and that's the bit I'm not good with, I have to confess. But they're rubbing it in. It's not that just the salt is parked next to the meat and somehow by osmosis it transfers itself to it and thus the salt is you know, absorbed by the meat. It doesn't work like that. It has to be rubbed in. It has to be get close. Proximity is required. And the same is true for us as Christians. If we're going to bring salt, if we're going to be like salt in the world, then we need to get proximity. We need to be close to people. We need to be involved in situations to make a difference. We can't just stand at the sidelines and go, well, I'm going to be salt over here. It doesn't work like that. We've got to be involved. It's like being rubbed in. And Daniel and his friends were totally rubbed into the culture, yet they remained faithful to God at the same time. They remained true to him time and time again. You see, Daniel was prepared to engage with the culture but not just to consume it without question. 
There are some lines in the sand that he drew, the food being one of them. An American theologian in the 1950s uh, analysed Christian's attitude to culture and he said, actually, Christ is the transformer of culture. And that recognises the social dimension of God's redemptive purposes, he said. Maybe remember the Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We've spoken recently about the the Everything Conference coming up uh, on the 26th of March in London. Listen, if you're interested in, if you're passionate about making a difference in your everyday world, particularly your work situation, maybe in education, or other spheres that God has put you in, this conference will help you and equip you to do that. The keynote speaker is a guy called Andy Crouch, written a book called Culture Making, about how we as Christians shouldn't just be criticising the culture we're in, but rather we should be creating it and making a culture that is honouring to God. 26th of March, it will be a day well spent, particularly if you're in a place where you've got any, any influence, be it in business or health or education or other areas of life, this conference will serve you very well and help you and encourage you uh, in your everyday life. I urge you to get to it. 26th of March, details online, those cards out in the foyer as well. Daniel would have been there. He would have been the keynote speaker, I'm sure, because God was working through him. Okay, we're out of time. Let's wrap up and bring this to a conclusion. Daniel, we see throughout the book that bears his name, served the king faithfully. He was a faithful and the committed servant of the king. He he would have had employee of the month award time and time again. Sometimes he would go along with things. Sometimes he'd make a stand. But he was one of the king's best. And the reason I want to suggest that he was one of the king's best was that he knew ultimately that God was the one who was in control. It wasn't the king. The king only had as much power as God enabled him to have. Ultimately, God was and is in control. I wonder, if you're at work, are you your company's best employee? Are you your firm's greatest asset? Do you really know that God is in control? even when circumstances seem to be looking very pear-shaped and unpredictable. The book of Daniel teaches you this. No matter what is happening around you, no matter what your immediate circumstances seem to be, God is in control. Even when it doesn't look like it, God is in control and he is still on the throne. I wonder, are you serving not just the king like Daniel was, but the king of kings? No matter what you do, no matter how you spend your week, whether you spend your week in a home environment, whether you spend your week in a business or education or health or other working area environment, whether you spend your week surrounded by small people and nappies, no matter what you're doing throughout the week, you can serve the King of Kings. Whether you're doing what may seem to you to be the most mundane of tasks, you can do it in a way that honours God and speaks of him 
by being faithful in what you've been given to do. Whether you've got much responsibility or little, in what you do, you can honour the king by the way that you do it. And then finally, do you take your faith to work or does it stay at home? Or maybe another question would be, do you take your faith out of these doors or does it somehow remain on the seat to be collected again next Sunday? For your faith to grow, it needs to work. It needs to be exercised. It needs to be used. It needs to be put into practice. The book of Daniel encourages us to have a faith at work and a faith that works. I'm trusting as we spend these weeks together looking through this book that God will help us with these things, that we would be faithful individuals serving the King of Kings, confident that God is in control and that he is on the throne and that he is sovereign. Amen? Amen? Let's stand together. We're going to pray as we close. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you for this book of Daniel. Thank you for him and his friends. Thank you for faithful lives and faithful individuals that we can learn from. And uh, God, as we spend these few weeks in this book, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that you would teach us. God, even for these things we've looked at this morning, I pray, Lord God, that you would bring them to life in our lives. God, I, I pray that we would know that you are in control. God, I pray that we, we would know you working in us. God, I pray that we would know you working through us. And God, I pray for each of us that we would be certain and confident of the fact that ultimately you are the one that's in control. Thank you, God, that the earth is the Lord's and everything is indeed yours in it. And we want to declare that we love you and want to serve you to bring about your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, use us to be salt and light in the situations you've put us. Help us to be, uh, to be faithful and great employees. Help us to be uh, trusted servants of you that you might be able to use for your glory to accomplish your purposes uh, in your world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're done. Thank you for being with us this morning. Pray you have a fantastic week as you love God and follow him and serve him. And we look forward to seeing you on Tuesday night at a prayer meeting at half seven and again next Sunday here at 10 o'clock. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.